Caution. The contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. And here on episode 72, you join us once again for a Coffeehouse Classical Concert Chat. Yes, and today we are talking about concert venues. Now, I know in the past we have talked about the difference between indoor versus outdoor concerts, but today we're really dealing with the location rather than so much as the ambiance in the music. We might get into that a little bit. We'll see. We'll see where the winds take us. Also focusing a little bit perhaps on the uh, performance logistics of each one. Ah, yes, logistics. We love logistics. (laughs) Wars are won and lost on logistics, and concerts are performed and not performed. (laughs) Also won and lost. Can you win a concert? I've won many concerts, Allison. I don't know about you. So, let's begin with just the standard concert hall. Uh, when you perform at a concert hall, it's pretty much the, the standard of what you want, might expect to experience, for it's tuned to provide the best acoustics for a performance ensemble. In a concert hall, you tend to have a big stage up in the front, and then adequate seating for all of your concert-going guests. Um, sometimes some seats are better than others, of course. You can either see only the front row, or you sit so far back that you can't see anyone's faces clearly, but you can see the whole orchestra. But no matter where you sit, you can always hear, and it always sounds great. With all the seats sloping upwards, generally you can see all or part of the ensemble from wherever you are sitting, and this allows you, combined with usually dimmed lights, uh, it allows you to have a very intimate listening experience and i think in a concert hall it's easier to appreciate the subtleties of music yeah i definitely agree with that um you can as we've mentioned before i think in our very first concert chat you can watch different people within the orchestra to see who's playing when and really appreciate what the director is wanting to bring out And another thing about these traditional concert halls that we think of, the big, huge buildings that sometimes are in a city that's far away from you, there's kind of a sense of occasion about going to them. It's very formal, and you kind of dress up for it, maybe, and when you're sitting there in this grand room, it's unlike any other place that you probably normally find yourself on a day-to-day basis. And that's that, that formal and occasional setting is simply by virtue of being in this space. Simply, you know, when, when, you, when you sit down in a concert chair or in a concert seating and the lights dim and the group comes out on stage, whether or not it's an orchestra or a chamber ensemble or a jazz band or whoever, like this is, this is an occasion. You are in this room to do, to see and hear one specific thing and that is music it's a it's an occasion it is not a multi-use venue 
Uh, and for that reason, I think it, it, it makes the experience very special. It's designed to be a, a very special exper a, a very special occasion. Now, Allison, do you think that this formal setting can sometimes discourage a program, a sort of a programmatic experimentation, um, maybe pushing out works that are unfit for a concert hall? Yes, to an extent. You mentioned that it's a kind of singular experience where it's just an orchestra playing orchestral works, and I definitely agree with that. Like, it's very rare, I think, that you'd see like a popular rock band, for example, going into a concert hall and performing their live tour. Like It's just not that kind of venue. Usually those type of venues seem to be places where dancing can happen and people are constantly up and moving around, not sitting down, very formal, listening politely to what's going on on stage. So in that way, I believe the concert hall isn't really allowing for different, newer types of music to be performed. For sure. I Well, I want to actually kind of piggyback on that and bring up a couple specific examples from I think I think you you watched a couple of these groups with me. Um, I think it was the Coves, a Fort Collins rock band, mm -hmm. and also Shell. Yes, uh, the the you know I I definitely remember thinking, you know, being in that rock concert in uh, inside Griffin Concert Hall at Colorado State University, and thinking, man, this just feels weird mm -hmm. to have all of these you know all of these seats next to me and all these people just, you know, kind of crammed into seats, all, all of us in the front section. Um, but it just did not feel like a venue that was well suited to, to rock music. It just felt like there's this wall between the performers and the audience uh, because, uh, because of the stage, the break between the stage and the seating. Mm -hmm. It's like very different. The people who are on stage are doing one activity while the people who are in the audience are sitting there. And they're listening. They're watching. They're listening. Right. They're they're not part of the performance. It's, and it's hard to break down that barrier, I think. Mm -hmm. Now, I think sometimes I'm thinking particularly of Pops concerts for that orchestra is put on. They can sometimes break down that barrier. Um, a lot of seats in concert halls are actually removable not very not many people know that but <laughs> oftentimes for like pops concerts where they're playing jazz and broadway hit kind of things they remove the front seats so that people actually can get up and go dance if they choose to so in that way they are kind of converting the concert hall into something that it's not but do you think that there's perhaps an intrinsic familiarity with an orchestral group performing a pops concert rather than a pop artist coming into a concert hall. Yes, I I see your point that it's still a safe space for a given group that you're familiar with. Now, I would like to bring up a story that is not a story of my own. It is a story of famous comedian John Mulaney. He, All right. <laughs> he recently... <laughs> Um, went to some sort of rock concert with a friend and apparently he goes to this concert every year it's for an older group and he says he warned his friend before that everyone is older and they all sit down for the entire concert and his friend didn't believe him apparently and they went into this concert hall and his friend just couldn't stand it anymore and so he kind of 
leaned back, talked to the people behind him. He's like, I'm going to stand up. Will that bother you? And the people behind him said, oh, no, if you're going to stand up, we'll stand up. And pretty soon they had the entire concert hall standing for this rock group that they used to all just sit for. So Mm -hmm. that's probably a, a strange anomaly in this whole concert venue and based on the group that's performing and the whole demographic that goes to see it. But maybe that sort of environment could inform other sorts of groups that might be interested in performing in concert halls. So speaking of groups being interested in performing in concert halls, obviously being designed for this singular purpose, concert halls have a lot of amenities that encourage performers and make that experience comfortable. There are stage curtains, there are backstage areas, there are, you know, like green rooms, Mm -hmm. like performance ready rooms, all sorts of different levels and soundproofed practice and warm-up rooms. Um, And because of this, as well as often the location and prestige of a venue such as this, uh, they can also be very expensive to perform in and often quite expensive to go see, relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. That's actually a problem not only for audience members, but also sometimes for the orchestra. So there's been lots of articles in news, not only recently, but in the recent past, of orchestras trying to raise money, do different events to get extra funds so that they can keep performing in their hall because the rent for it has actually gotten too high. I think it's kind of a misconception that some people might have that just because you're an orchestra doesn't mean that you, by virtue, get to be in the hall. And oftentimes orchestras don't own their own hall. They do rent it either from a city, or say, or maybe from a private company that's built a hall. So let's let's move on then and, and talk about some more informal concert settings, because I think that's really where this discussion was inspired. So first, of course, we, we've gone over some outdoor stuff before, mm-hmm. uh, but we will mention them one more time. There's a couple different types of outdoor venues. And, and first, let's talk about the formal setting where it might be an amphitheater or, you know, an outdoor stage that's officially set up. It's almost like a concert hall that has the building removed from it. Exactly, exactly. Amphitheaters are, of course, usually used just in the summer, and oftentimes the summer program that an orchestra might be putting on is easier music than they might perform during the regular season. Right, this might, I mean, this might be an ideal venue for a Pops concert, for example. Mm Mm-hmm. And you don't have to worry about all of that concert seating that we were talking about because often people will bring their own folding chairs or just blankets to sit on. And as we've brought up before, you have little kids running around, messing around, dancing, and sometimes get cute couples who go up and dance as well. Mm -hmm. In a lot of cases, though, there is amplification required to actually hear parts, if not all, of the orchestra or whatever group is performing. This extra complexity is often offset by a a cheaper cost to perform as well as much cheaper attendance, if not free, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a big draw for people. As we've mentioned before, having music just out in the open is a great way to both promote your group and just kind of get people listening to classical music. Right, and that music dissipating into the the, uh, space around you can often promote some sort of like walk up 
attendance or people walking by and listening to a concert on the other side of the hill or just behind, you know, the building that they're walking around and they walk around the corner and there's an amphitheater and they stick around mm-hmm. for a for a little while. And that that's kind of informal, but it is also a set concert that was probably well advertised. But right. there's also more informal varieties even of outdoor concerts and that's just kind of like street performers or maybe you have an event and there happens to be some music at it i would yeah so i would also sort of lump into this category things like open mic nights or you know a a chamber group playing in a restaurant somewhere like we have done before Mm -hmm. or as sort of background music to a a soiree or an art gallery or something like that right yeah, something that's definitely the music is not the focus of whatever you're doing, yet mm-hmm. it's there and it takes the level from 10 to 100. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so even though these places are ne- almost never designed to be concert venues and therefore they have poor acoustics, it's often unamplified. Uh, I I love the organic audience participation that can happen. Uh, that can really generate a a unique performance energy. I think unique to any other venue that I've ever performed at. And so if you're in a restaurant, of course you have food and you're probably there with friends or family and it's a great event. But also, you don't have to have music just in a restaurant. You can have music out in a square, like a city square, and you can have shopping around. Maybe there's some sort of festival going on. Something that I really like about these informal or street performances is that they're really close to other amenities. So something I think is kind of a trend that's happening in music performance right now is that you're not just going to listen to music, you're going for a whole experience. And so if you can listen to music while also dining or listen to music while shopping or doing any number of things that you want to be doing, in addition to listening to live music, I think it just creates this amazing experience that you can't quite get with just recorded music playing in the background of your activities. Or even at a concert hall in, in inside a room or at an amphitheater, something like that where the music is the main focus, um, these street performances or informal outdoor performances, the music doesn't become what you're mainly focused on during this, during whatever event that you happen to be at, but it's a big part of how you recall or how you, you know, how you, how you recall it when you remember it later on. Uh, like even, you know, going to a Renaissance fair, you know, you're, you're there for the costumes and all of the, you know, all the artisans and stuff like that. And, but there's always somebody, you know, playing a lute somewhere (laughs) or a harp and that atmosphere that they create it, it it sticks in your head like that is what mm-hmm. sort of sticks in your head and helps you recall the situation so if you go to let's say a farmer's market we'll use that as our example you probably have like the smell of someone i don't know, maybe cooking meat or selling their produce and you have the sounds of children playing but then if you also have the sound of music that's heightening your experience and it's something foreign in this setting that you're probably familiar with and it's something new and interesting and it's better. I agree. Now, I also want to contrast 
this situation with uh, situations where a like a concert hall might have a bar or a restaurant on site. Mm-hmm. M- mostly, you know, something, a, a counter or a bar that people would frequent during intermission or before the concert or just after or then going out to eat right after the concert. Like a better concert hall in downtown Denver has mm-hmm. a million restaurants nearby and a bar in the in the venue itself. I think that is very different because while it does still well, it does sort of replicate that social like that social aspect you know commiserating with your mm-hmm. friends about the music that you're listening to over a drink or over food it's a completely different experience because you're not doing both of those at the same time like you listen to a concert and then you go to the bar and you have like a recap right and then you have a recap and you talk about what you just saw um it's it's not a it's no it's not a concurrent thing at all mm-hmm. It's not as an organic of a conversation because you've had time to kind of premeditate over it as you're sitting there. Right. Basically alone with your thoughts. Right. And it's, it's, I think it's less of a complete experience. I mean, not to take away from any one of those components, but, but again, you are experiencing the, the, the social side and the listening side in, in separate discrete chunks rather than all at once. And I think I think there's definitely a huge difference there in how I experienced how I experienced that. Um now the other thing to mention about these outdoor informal concerts, attendance almost always is free because there's something else going on. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're not you if you are paying, you're going to the outdoor market or admission to the Renaissance fair, right? You're not <laughs> yeah. going you know, you're not going to see Johnny Lutzman or whoever uh <laughs> and with in the in the case of like street concerts you often just set up and play there's no admissions there's no booking a venue yeah that's a good point that you don't have to book the street however another venue that a lot of i'd say smaller groups maybe younger groups like to book is a church we have had experience performing in churches and it's for the very reason of it's what we could afford and it was convenient. Yeah, churches are readily available concert halls, basically, even though they're not designed for that purpose. Larger indoor halls with high capacity, high seating capacity. Oftentimes they have a ready stage area and pretty fair acoustic properties. And combine that with the fact that most church, like main church halls, are empty a lot mm-hmm. of the time and you have the perfect combination for a venue that wants to use its space and it's a good place to it's a good place to perform isn't it yeah and you mentioned the acoustic properties i think especially if you're getting into some of the old churches that are huge with big spires and are made of stone those have pretty fun acoustics i'm not gonna say they're like the, the best for performing but it sounds so cool to like play your final note and have it echo through the church for minutes mm-hmm. so in that respect churches are pretty excellent venues really however unlike we were mentioning with the traditional concert halls that have amenities both for the audience and the performers such as the backstage area or just a place to set up and warm up Churches don't really have a place like that often. No. I remember uh, in some of our church performances, our setup area was 
a cordoned off pew or two in the front mm-hmm. of the uh, in the front of the venue. There's no backstage. <laughs> there's no green room. Uh, you know, they don't have a bunch of chairs to move in. We had to bring everything, right? Right. No, no amenities for the performers. And I remember as a child going to piano competitions, there was often not even another piano somewhere in the church that I could go warm up on. And my piano right. teacher would always advise me to, right before I go on, to sit there and like move my fingers around as though I was playing the piece on my leg and just trying to get my fingers moving before I went on. Uh, it's, it's a good thing then that the churches are almost always much cheaper to book than actual concert halls uh, when you're looking at it from a performance perspective. Uh, cheap or sometimes free mm-hmm. because churches will do for not-for-profit performances, of course, you know, recitals like you were talking about with piano stuff, like the uh, studio recitals that we did in 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 college as well. Uh, those were little to no cost to the performers. However, sometimes you'd have to work around the church's schedule. Obviously, yes. a Sunday morning concert is probably not going to happen. As is maybe a Saturday evening performance, if there's a wedding going on, maybe. Mm -hmm. Just anytime the church has priority over someone else coming in. The other thing that I've noticed about churches sometimes is that if you're walking in and trying to find the performance, sometimes it's not immediately obvious where (laughs) where the hall is. Uh, when you walk in from the street, even though you can see it from mm-hmm. outside, I've noticed a lot of you know churches usually built around you know the '90s um, have some some labyrinthine interiors <laughs> that <laughs> that can uh, that can turn into very tough places to navigate. Um, and one thing that I've also wanted to to talk to you about, Allison, is that I find that sometimes performances in a church hall often seem to carry a a, a, a certain connotation. Um, that they are not as high caliber as other performances, even those that you would find in outdoor or informal setting. Mm-hmm. So I do know of a few professional level chamber groups that do perform in churches on a regular basis, but I definitely see what you're saying with there being kind of a more childish connotation, if you will, where... You probably see, like, your youth orchestras going to churches to perform, or, as I mentioned, like, my youth piano competitions. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there was a new professional group that was trying to break into the performance scene, and they were just trying to find venues, if they would perhaps choose to veer away from a church, even if it was more in their budget, just because they didn't want to be grouped with these supposed lower caliber groups. I don't, so I don't think it's about like the caliber of the performance. I think part of it is about the visibility that a, that a, an aspiring professional group might obtain by performing in a church or rather the lack of visibility. I think it's something that, especially on, on flyers or advertisements that you see, you see it's at a church suddenly you know it's it's part of part of your brain just kind of glosses over it then it's obviously not going to be advertised on an event schedule of a major concert venue Mm -hmm. right so people that are already of a mind to come and see your performance who are paying attention to the concert venue schedule won't see your performance right 
You know, right. that's they they people won't just walk in off the street because they don't expect people won't just walk in off the street because they don't expect a a concert to be there. It's like if you're looking for something to do on a Friday night, you're gonna try looking at the big venues first. You're not gonna right browse around looking at the first Christian church to see if there's anyone playing there on Friday. Exactly. Or I'm gonna go down. I'm gonna go downtown and listen as I walk past brew pubs and see you know hear if there's a band playing in one of them. Um, I exactly. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna look up. You know the Lutheran Church's website. I think that kind of goes with what we were saying about the amenities and the draw of the rest of the um, venue that you're in. Is that the church has nothing to offer you except maybe a restroom, uh, whereas <laughs> basically any other venue that you're going to is going to have something else to go for with it. Like it's either close to restaurants or it is a restaurant, like we were mentioning. Right. And the church just isn't as fun. Right. And then, again, from a performer's standpoint, you have to do all of the marketing for your concert because there won't be any walk-ins. The venue won't be able to market your concert to an interested audience. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're performing a jazz band concert at the local church, you know, that's not necessarily something that their Sunday sermon would touch on <laughs> uh, right so the audiences don't necessarily overlap and for that reason like marketing is tough uh, all the attendance you you get you garner for your own performance mm -hmm. um, and i think that's that can be very tough for a group maybe trying to break into a professional space uh, or just trying to perform to a, an excited audience it can be difficult when it is small because there's no there's no visibility that saying we are just going kind of based on our own experiences here. I'm sure there's other experiences out there and maybe people have had fantastic experiences playing in churches and it's been the exactly. best concerts and audiences that they've ever performed. So if you have any comments, send them to coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com or drop a comment on the uh, post on our Facebook page where this went live as well. Uh, so thank you very much for listening to episode 72 of the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. So for the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Grieg's Wedding Day at Trollhana was performed by Harold Vetter. Dvorak's In Nature's Realm was performed by the DuPage Symphony Orchestra conducted by Barbara Schubert. You can find the Coffeehouse on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and be sure to write us a review. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com.